It's time to open the pod bay doors once more. Dear listeners, I'm Jared Walker and my partner in banter for all things filmic today is Damo Perompka. Hello. For today's review, we're going to delve deep, deep into Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Now, we'll do the first part of that review spoiler-free, but from a certain point, we're going to be talking in granular detail about Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, so that'll be a spoiler-filled conversation. We'll give Uh, fair warning, yeah? We'll give fair warning, of course, and uh, that'll be for the second part of our review. But um, first up, I just wanted to chat about a couple of things in the arena of entertainment news, Um, most notably The Witcher premiered on Netflix on Friday. And uh, how is it? Mm, well, I'll just rattle off this little background. It's an adaptation of Andrei Sapkowski's The Witcher book series that nearly wound up being a standalone Netflix film, but Netflix saw advantages in adapting it as a series and utilizing the eight books as a source material. So, The Witcher is, uh, as I said, eight books written, they were written between 93 and 2013 uh, by a Polish author. Uh, It's been adapted as a game in The Witcher, The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings, The Witcher Battle Arena, and The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, as well as two Polish TV series, one called The Hexer, one called The Witcher, and a 2001 Polish film adaptation that's reportedly pretty awful. There's all these adaptations, (laughs) I haven't heard of any of them. It's it's. It's really Eastern European. Okay, um, but that's obviously all right. where it's yeah. shot. Yeah. And its tone is very clear. Is it set in Poland? Uh, no, it's set in uh, the, at the continent, which okay. is kind of this. Um, yeah. Well, it's, the premise of set essentially is The Witcher is a chap named Geralt of Rivia, and that is Henry Cavill, he of Justice League, the super, Superman, the Man of Steel, uh, well, Man from Uncle. And uh, not of steel, but from Uncle. Oh, I remember that. Yep. And uh, I actually really enjoyed that. I didn't mind Uncle. it either. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really <laughs> enjoyable little film. Uh, Guy Ritchie did a good job on that. A good soundtrack on that. Uh, yeah, terrific too. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really good. But uh, here he is a sort of very solitary monster hunter who struggles to find his place. This is a this plot description I'm reading. In a world where people often prove more wicked than monsters or beasts. But when destiny hurtles him towards a powerful sorceress and a young princess with a special gift, the three must learn to navigate independently in the increasingly volatile continent. Now, continent is Westeros. And there are lots of different factions and areas and countries and gobbledygook. It it is an info dump at the beginning. You're just like, whoa, I'm just overwhelmed. We've got to go to the kingdom of Thribbledybook and pick up the (laughs) cup of Doddledydunk and then return to... And you're just like, whoa, whoa, this is a lot. But you just stick with it and it's kind of punctuated with some... Lots of... uh, Lots of uh, rumpy pumpy, mm-hmm. um, lots of nudity. Does it have a bit of humour? It's got a little. It's very camp in okay, parts. Good, good, like yep. it's very knowingly over the top. In fact, I and my wife watched all of it and enjoyed it thoroughly, <laughs> chuckling along. How many eps? Eight episodes, okay. and I think you could say, imagine if someone made Hercules with a budget of Game of Thrones. Oh, <laughs> it's got that kind okay. of trashy, but still. In, enjoyable on a level that's serious enough for you to kind of buy into it and take it seriously in the terms of the dramatics and what's happening in the plot. Like I'm actually, I was quite into the story. Um, it is very pulpy, very pulpy. It and, sounds uh, intriguing because I saw it pop up the other day and I, I've still got all these other things that I'm trying to finish. Yeah, it's and, a lot. Yeah. 
there's a lot there's a lot on offer at the moment. But well, I think what I enjoyed about The Witcher is it's just very unabashedly um, trashy and having fun in that D and D infused universe of elves and um, wizards and sorceresses and and mages as they're called. In okay, the it might be next for me then. It, that sounds fun. It, it is fun. Uh, it is the script is not sort of a pile of wit and uh, one liners that make you chuckle. It is very nuts and bolts. But like I said, it it's very slickly made. The director is um, a Game of Thrones alumni. He's a director from that show. His name's Alec Sakharov, and he's made a, he made about four episodes, I think, of this season. And it's very Game of Thrones. His style okay. of directing, you could really feel is it. Is it gruesomely violent? Yes, yes. It's extremely gory. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that CGI bloodletting, you know, with the CGI but if it's See, the thing I struggle with is if it's if it's got a bit of humor with it, I can handle that. Mm. But it's when it's all-encompassing and that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, it's not all-encompassing. Okay. It's just a very grim universe that they're, they're telling the tale in and a lot much like Game of Thrones. So violence of, you know, uh, of a grisly kind is sort of par for the course. Mm-hmm. And there are some awesome creatures like proper tentacled monsters and all sorts of stuff and uh, right. the, an enormous spider with a human face. I think he's killed and he kills in the first few moments. The showrunner is Lauren Schmidt Hisrick, who has written on West Wing uh, as a writer solely, but also wrote and produced on shows like Parenthood, Private Practice, Daredevil, The Defenders, and The Umbrella Academy. Oh, okay. And I think that's yeah, where Netflix that. got her from. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's got, I think she's very competent. She's very capable. But she must be all right if she worked on the West Wing. Yeah, she must have yeah, yeah. some chops. Yeah. Um, so the nuts and bolts of the storytelling is is pretty good. But yeah, it's flawed. But you got to, I don't know, there's but a if, certain if kind of... But if it's fun... Yeah, you can handle the flaws. You can handle. You just go with it. Yeah. Like it. And um, Henry Cavill is strangely appealing as this sort of blonde. <laughs> strangely appealing. Strangely. That's a poster tagline, isn't it? <laughs> you just, you sort of, uh, you. It's almost for me. It was watching it in spite of myself, where I'm just sort of thinking, "Oh, this is ridiculous," but then I'm having fun. Yeah, good. yeah. That's what I mean. So it kind of balances that for me. It works, but if someone was to come to me and say, I watched it and thought it was so silly, I couldn't take it seriously. I'm not going to argue with them. It's like I had that wrestle, that battle, that, that's, that my mind was the, the, where, the arena where that battle was fought. And uh, uh, to paraphrase uh, Nikos Katsandakis' uh, opening uh, sprawl to Last Temptation of Christ, but um, it's basically in my mind I was having a little tug of war between this is ridiculous or this is fun. So And ultimately... Fun one out. That's The Witcher, and uh, second season has already been greenlit. Wow. And they're doing it. So they've got a bit of, I think either they've invested too much to stop now, which I think is Amazon's uh, uh, perspective towards Lord of the Rings, the mm-hmm. TV series, which mm-hmm. is gearing up now and casting in New Zealand. I believe they're shooting it, just like the films were. But, um, but there's a lot of money being spent on, on television production yeah. lately. Yeah. Probably it's it's good for us. Yeah, like, it's good for us, and it's because the tech companies can afford to drop yeah. cash like, oh, what's... Oh, sorry, that's my hundred million over there. Excuse me, I'll just put that back in my pocket. Whereas the film studios, they're sort of counting through their palm full of pennies, trying to figure out what film they want to back. You know, they do like four or five event movies a year, and then the studios treat them like racehorses, and they just which one will come in the winner to compensate for the losses they're going to get on the other films. Well, and and even Disney have uh, done that. Yeah, 
cancelling or postponing their films of Star Wars and all that sort of yeah, but they're putting it on hiatus or, so or, or developing it instead of a film and moving it to TV show. Or yeah, that that's all they're doing. Star Wars will still live as a as a ride or as a land. Sorry, at Disneyland, mm. um, Galaxy's Edge, you'll still have the TV show. You'll still have merch. You'll still have cartoons, probably as well, animated shows. Anyway, that the other thing is the box office, which of course. It's no surprise that the box office for just this weekend, when I say weekend, it's the last four days, Rise of Skywalker has done pretty well. And so essentially... It's pretty good for an independent film. It's pretty good for an independent film and it's had a pretty decent opening. I think it's done, uh, let's see, the the exact uh, numbers in a five days, 193.7 million. That's domestically. So that ain't bad. Yeah. So I'm sure Disney are feeling somewhat bolstered by. Well, that. I was reading today, in fact, though, because you know we we spoke before they bought Lucasfilm for four point whatever billion. Yeah. And the six years since, they've made their money back. It's crazy. That's insane. That's crazy. I, the, it's and so so directly yeah. as well. Like it's such a matter of fact way. They simply have made several films and the, the money generated from those is just they've recouped it they haven't had to diversify in all these different areas to mm. try and struggle to make up the cash that they spent i think they've it's been nuts. clever because uh, i think they've obviously had the idea of doing the streaming thing for mm. a little while and now they've got the library to do it so that and netflix really were the r&d for that so yeah. all the other companies just sat back tending their fingers watching netflix to see if they would fail and they didn't and so now they're all copying what netflix did but who's going to lose out first because i mean surely there's no way everyone can afford to have all of them i have issues at the moment this is just speaking as a disney plus customer that what's on offer there just does not it, it's not interesting to me there's only so much you can watch and then it becomes a digital equivalent of that uh, shelf full of Disney DVDs that your kids used to watch when they were in there. But they also said that they're not going to have R-rated stuff and that sort of thing on their MA. I've just, all I can think is where is the Fox content? Yeah. And it's doing my head in. Unless that's still tied up in sort of distribution because mm. they, they don't have all the Star Wars films at the moment because we still got to wait no, for this there is a gearing up we, I do remember when Netflix launched in Australia there was that kind of that uh, that DMZ period where mm. um, you, everything's kind of bare bones and I think by early to... next year they'll have all the Star Wars films obviously other than the current one because it'll do its cinema release for the next yeah 18 um, months although that and they have last Jedi which I think is recent because mm-hmm. Netflix had that for a while. Um, I know this because I started watching it again uh, for reasons we'll discuss. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Rise of Skywalker doing pretty well, but that would also bring us to Cats. And Cats... But does the, it? Cats at the box office did a whopping... Oh man, this is this is must have hurt for the producers. In five days, it did 7.9. <sighs> Sorry, 7.6. Million, so it is not doing well. That's domestic. But the trailer is scary. The trailer is if you've ever seen the uh, Jermaine Clement in What We Do in the Shadows, where it has the brief cutaway of him morphing into a cat, and it's a it's a cat with his face, and that's that's the meme that has gone all over the internet now. Uh, after seeing the cat's trailer, it's strange. I was just discussing this with my my dear wife Alison, and we were talking about this topic about the way the film looks cats the film and well there's a news article i just read that universal has notified theaters 
Now, bear in mind, Cats is on release. Yeah. Notified theatres that Cats is being updated with improved visual effects. Are you kidding me? No. And uh, this is actually from Hollywood Reporter. This is not some strange online sort of site. So this is legit. Then the the article says- It's not making money. No. But they so want. I think spend they want more money start. on it. I think they've got a bit of faith in it being something like Greatest Showman, where the critics kind of deride it. Yet it has longevity because of the music and the fans, and that's probably not a bad way to think about it because it is a legitimately massive musical. Like it's yeah, I saw it in London twenty years ago. It's a part of everyone's life in some strange way. But the move's unheard of for a finished film that's in yeah. release. The article said that on the movie's opening day, Universal notified thousands of theatres that they'll be receiving an updated version of Tom Hooper's troubled film with, quote-unquote, some improved visual effects, according to a copy of the memo obtained by The Hollywood Reporter. The, the move's unheard of for a finished title already in release, according to cinema operators and Hollywood studio execs. Insiders say that has been done at Hooper's request. Interesting. Mm. Cats has been ravaged by critics. It looks, let's face it, it, was ravaged by critics before we even really saw the trailer. When the, but once when the trailer came out, out, it was the talk of work for hours. That, people were talking, going, who asked for this? It's, <laughs> it's completely insane. But essentially, Hooper's been up front anyway, says in this article, about the fact that he barely finished the CGI Heavy Cats in time for December 16 okay. world premiere, and so he wants to make more tweaks and to certain effects. But isn't I, that what Blu-ray's for? Yeah. It's what Blu-ray's for. I think he's I think he's moving deck chairs on the Titanic, frankly. <laughs> but that's just it just isn't much I, I, I won't to see it done. until it's out uh, in a form like I can push a button and yeah. it appears on my screen I, at home. I want to see it in in clear crisp 4K mm-hmm. so that I can see I can see the 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 madness and the the true apocalypse that it is in the utmost clarity. I just do not see how that can be a good film in any way, shape or form because, and this is, uh, I heard pointed out on a, on a different film podcast actually, but they were discussing the way that they look, the strangely sexualized nature of the human body cat hybrids in the CGI. And they said that the, the thing with the show is it's actors dressed up yet. But if you turn them into creatures, it's strange. It does something. It's that uncanny valley thing. I found it, the trailer unsettling. It's really weird. It's really strange. And dial it up on the YouTubes if you haven't looked at it. It is worth seeing just to have a sort of slack jawed gape. At something that just <laughs> but that's me that was me that like who pulled the trigger on this who yes. pulled the trigger working title who are a terrific UK production company no they did it they've backed a, a sizable chunk and also a US studio I'm not actually sure off the top of my head which one but yeah there, there's money there's money that's going to be lost I think on the initial release I'm I hope look Tom, I like Tom Hooper. I rate Tom Hooper as a filmmaker. I enjoyed John Adams, which he directed for HBO. King's Speech, Les Miserables. King's Speech um, was good. King's Speech was great. Yeah. Tom Hooper is a really capable director, but I don't know if working in a CGI motion capture space is maybe his forte. I don't know, but it just seems like it's a uh, a souffle, shall we say, a melange. Of uh, bad direction, you know, bad I'm gonna planning, I'm gonna have to watch effects. it because uh, if it's that bad, it might be good. I think it's going to attract a crowd now because it's just people just want to see it unfold. They want to see it just unspool like a like a car crash. <laughs> like yeah, it's um you know it it's 
one of those things where uh, you get the rubberneckers. That's mm-hmm. what happens. They're, they're filmic rubberneckers. And, and that's the tone that's in the press as well. And I'm not going to lie. I had an adverse reaction to the trailer. I just thought, why would you bother making this? Because it has none of the magic of a, of a Broadway musical. Seeing it on stage, I think, would be part of the appeal. I'm pretty sure that's what appealed to people about it. Yeah, I remember clearly seeing it on stage in London. We bought our tickets before we even went. I think maybe he should have gone what he done what he did with Les Mis, which is get the actors to sing for real, as he's done with this film, but costume them physically. Yeah. Have them dressed and made up to look like cats. So you can see that they're humans with makeup on to look like cats. Even if it's silly looking, it doesn't matter. You would still kind of, I think, slide past the the uh, suspension of disbelief for a lot of audience goers, you'd just go, okay, I'm going to buy into the theatricality of this instead of trying to create a half animated universe with cat people. It's very strange. Got a Golden Globe nomination. Yeah, I think it was for the song, the Taylor Swift uh, song. Yeah, that uh, I think I don't even think it's part of Lloyd Webber's um, arsenal from the original musical. I think it was purposefully written for the new one. Well, let's get off the topic of cats, although it is kind of like watching a sort of slow motion train wreck. It's sort of like a lava lamp. You can't look away. <laughs> it's hypnotizing. So that then brings us to uh, our review. It brings us to our review today of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. I want to start off talking about this by talking about what I loved about it and what the positives were for me. That's a good way to start, I think. I think absolutely. And I think for me, I think this looked terrific. And I think J.J. Abrams, who's a dab hand at the uh, at this type of thing, just knows how to pull off spectacle and also that sense of design you can imagine that color chart on the wall of the production design office where different worlds and different textures striking colors they go to they go to the planet where there's that festival it looks like it's kind of Burning Man. I was going to say, <laughs> Alien Burning Man. That's Alien it. Burning and did you Man. notice, oh, no, I can't say that. Oh, we'll wait till the spoiler section. Yes, yes. <laughs> but the way it actually 
uh, play, the breakneck speed. Oh, my goodness. It hits the ground. Running. It has a warning at the start. Remember, that it says the scenes with uh, flashing and blah, 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 oh, yeah, blah. It may uh, cause you to... Pho- uh, photo epilepsy. Yeah, yeah. that's the, and it is. It's uh, quite frenetic. It is. I, I think there must have been more than one editor, for sure, working on that. There's sequences that just begin halfway through a sequence. Yeah. They, and then it, it ends So much before, overlapping dialogue yeah, as well. Yeah. And to fix it, there's a lot of ADR. Mm. Um, that, that a lot of uh, you know, extracurricular dialogue that's been re-recorded and added in at the last minute to paste over those sharp cuts and to kind of smooth it out story-wise so that you can take the plot in. But essentially, it's I found it um, emotionally really satisfying. And yeah. the ending... Like when I walked out, I felt like I had gotten something substantial. I felt like I had experienced the final film in the nine nine film cycle or saga. Saga, and I felt like I'd gotten what I was looking for. Um, uh, me too. I, I went with my nephew Riley, and he turned to me as the credits rolled, and I've gone to talk to me because he's a keen Star Wars geek mm-hmm. as well. And I've gone, no, 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 hang on, I need a minute. <laughs> I have to process. It's kind of got that. Um, oh, look! It, again, we're, we're talking about this cutting. It's also the story is you know there is a dump at the beginning where mm-hmm. it's just like whoa, all this information that you do take in. But that's kind of the case for most of the Star Wars films. Look, there's been a lot of uh, critical discussion about this film, and a lot of people have had uh, good and bad reactions. But the the reaction I get from the front, if you want to call it that, from people that I know who have seen it and they text me and go, wow, I, I really enjoyed that. That's overwhelmingly the reaction. People are really enjoying it. I loved it. And, um, and sort of going with it. And I find that quite interesting because what's being leveled against it is that it's hard to think about this film without considering The Last Jedi. And that... The Last Jedi, really, the the film itself and also what transpired during the filming of The Last Jedi and also how the expectations that arose after The Last Jedi and also the the story choices that Ryan Johnson made in that film, how they've directly impacted Rise of Skywalker. They really did paint J.J. Abrams into a corner. So he was painted into a corner corporately. So you've got the Disney board saying, J.J., make us a hit. We want to, you know, we want this many new toys. We want to spin off this into that. We want to take this and make a ride. So you have to, he has to satisfy that. And then you've got fandom, which up to, we've had many conversations about because up to this point. I've got two lines here that I, sorry, just to add to that. Mm. One of the reviews said, may the focus group be with you. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one was, as you just said about The Last Jedi, a movie that unravels all The Last Jedi's most bold and subversive choices. Yes, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, you know, obviously we're trying to be spoiler-free here, so mm. that I'm not going to discuss the actual um, plot details yet of Rise of Skywalker. But new, needless to say that, um, look, if you want to be superficial about it, it just it follows Ray, Finn, and Poe Dameron, those characters from Force Awakens, who we saw in Last Jedi last. As in this film, they set out to aid the Resistance's final stand against. Kylo Ren and the the First Order, and so that they're kind of the basic plot points that you start with. So it, it, even Last Jedi kind of began with a rebel base under attack, and mm. they were actually getting ready to escape and 
leave. That was that's the first scene. So this is not too dissimilar, except they're readying for attack. And I guess what I found most interesting is that really on one other level, Rise of Skywalker is a direct response to what Ryan Johnson did in the previous film. In fact, that's why I think Colin Trevorrow Mm. left the film because of what Ryan Johnson did to certain characters he wanted to then use in, in this. Yes. Yes. But couldn't. I mean, Colin Trevorrow has been actually quite vocal recently about why he chose to leave the project. And but he make they make it sound kind of more as they tend to do when they go back and sort of try to be uh, diplomatic about why they left the production and what the real reasons were. They don't want to make it sound too negative or kind of you know like they don't want to bite the hand that might possibly feed them in the future. But True. Colin Trevorrow has been very sort of circumspect about talking when he talks about the Star Wars script he wrote because he's still credited on this new film he's still which means that the script they've used is 50% mm-hmm. or more his and he wrote uh, Derek Connolly I believe was his uh, co-writer on that original script so they have utilized the original vision that Colin Trevorrow had and probably was working on while Ryan Johnson was making The Last Jedi I mean it, it makes me think what what the hell was Disney doing to allow a, a, a young writer director to just completely steamroll their franchise and do what he wants and make I, major I'm changes? I'm surprised to not see that there's this huge board <laughs> with a timeline and 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 yes. a, and a we from the beginning of Force Awakens to the end of um, the the new one. Mm. These are the things that need to happen. Yes, and you just get a director to make that happen in their vision. I because I'm sure. I mean, George Lucas had a, didn't he? Yes. A timeline of Yeah, yeah. He actually events. had finished scripts. Yeah. And this is the other thing is, I think now there's going to be something of a post-mortem and you may find that somehow those scripts will get leaked or that they'll make their way public because I think people are going to be quite interested to see what George Lucas wanted to do with those final three stories. Well, Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, well, there's not really um, <laughs> there's not really any way to get around. I mean, Jar Jar. Look, I have to I have to admit, I I watched Phantom Menace with my sons, and uh, they didn't. They're laughing at Jar Jar. They're not thinking this is a terribly written character. This is a mm-hmm. terrible racial stereotype. This is whatever. They you know all those criticisms leveled against uh, George Lucas. But I, the, the kids aren't just at, at the time. It. I didn't have a problem with it. When I saw it at the movies, I didn't have a problem with it. It so, wasn't until rewatching, I'm like, eh, he's annoying. Yes, and and I, I, a lot of flaws. But I think about it now, and every single Star Wars film has had flaws. Even, of course, of course. Even, and no, even and new name ones, a movie you know? that really doesn't. There's very few no. that don't. And uh, people's expectations are so unrealistic and crazy. But that's the, the, the vitriol that comes out after the movie that they want doesn't happen. So then they uh, they go online and start attacking Rose, for example, mm. who who turned out to to have a little bit of a less role in this this film. I think that the overall lack of planning on Disney's part, mm. I, th- I think is so... Well, I'm gobsmacked so, at it, Yeah, I was going to say mind-boggling. Yeah. I, can't, I can't believe they dropped the ball in such a fundamental way. Now... Well, they did a couple of things wrong, though. They didn't even have a, a Ray action figure. at the. At the that's right. That that's was right. weird. Why they wouldn't didn't, you? Yeah, that's because, you know, if you want to put this in, uh, I'm making little quotations with my fingers, but this kind of woke mm. sort of new culture we live in where... 
uh, corporately speaking, you have to vet everything you are going to say publicly in or you know with saying hey uh you know uh woke people uh lawyers woke lawyers <laughs> people identifiers of unwokeness please scan this press release to make sure that this pushes all the right buttons in, you know includes the buzzwords diversity yeah. inclusivity and and you know ticks all the boxes and they're a corporate they're, they're a you know a corporate behemoth so of course this is how they think so up till the, a point there's no diversity at all in their films there's no room for it then yeah. there's no female-led superhero you know superhero actioners it's suddenly marvel you know star wars they put the focus on it and disney sort of go yes that's because we're woke it's like really <laughs> are you because essentially you're not much different to the neighborhood uh psycho that walks around beating people in the streets yeah. and then the next day is walking around telling everyone how we need to thank him because he's not beating anyone anymore there's this weird sort of corporate psychology going on where Disney are now being very adamant in, and strident in how progressive they want to appear, yeah. but they're not following through on and it. And there's uh, something we'll talk about in the spoiler section. Yeah, that I'm I wanna... talking about specifically about Rose, but um, yeah, I, 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 what bugged me is um, that poor actress copped the brunt. Of she had to delete her Instagram attitude. account. Yes. She felt compelled to do it because I, but see the thing that I don't understand, if, if you're a fan, mm. you're not satisfied with the film. Okay. Yes. But why why would you Kelly, bring so much hate to something that you love online like that? Yeah. Uh, what, why? That sort of What are you hoping toxic, to achieve? Toxic fandom as they love to call it. Kelly Marie Tran is the um young actress we're talking about who plays Rose. And I thought she was great. She was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly and she had a terrific in- introduction that action sequence. Oh, it was the, brilliant. The bombers and stuff yeah. it was great. And again, it all comes down to this bizarre pandering. Pandering's uh, a good word. Pandering yes. to fans, yep. and I can't say that Rise of Skywalker isn't guilty of that because it is. Like they, oh, truly, it's overwhelming. Actually, how much they pander to fans, and this is what I'm talking about when I say it's like a direct response to Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi, J.J. Abrams' The Rise of Skywalker chooses to make certain plot decisions that utterly disregard what came retroactive before. continuity oh, yeah. retcon. Ret- it, retcon and this oh retroactive continuity do you know that i've said the word retcon for years and i had no idea that that's actually what it meant yes. uh, there you go um so there's an element of pandering to fans well, a day where you haven't learned something new is a day wasted that's this is true mm-hmm. and <laughs> we've said before in the show that you know fans are never entirely satisfied never because it's a fool's errand and fan expectations can never be sated and kids' expectations are non-existent. So kids will enjoy the whiz-bang spectacle and the fun characters and the adventure and the cute, tiny space mechanics. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, that was pretty cute. And the fanboys pick over the remains to examine why they don't feel like they did when they first watched a Star Wars film when they watched this Star Wars film. And so, that seems to be the weird bar they're judging it by, right? They're sort of looking at it going, it's not doing what I want it to do or what I... What I what I I'm not getting from it. What I expect, I did. Mm. I was okay, yeah. I'm I'm I was most happy. I I said to my nephew, if I didn't have to be going out to, to dinner tonight, mm. I'd walk around, buy another ticket, and go straight back in. And this is the dichotomy of the film, which is um, there are a lot of legitimate criticisms I think being thrown at it, but on the overall level of, is it enjoyable? Yes. Yes. And were there moments where I welled up? 
Yes. Oh, I, my, I had to change my shirt before going out. You know, had all these tear marks on it and snot from. Oh. Glad I had tissues. I, I, I'm a sap when it comes to that kind of crap. And the, is the plot convoluted? And uh, and and you know, are you sort of shaking your head to clear it while you're sort of in the first five minutes trying yeah. to follow what's going on? Yes, yes, you are. Because there's about a million MacGuffins. It, it's a million MacGuffins. J.J. Abrams loves he loves himself a MacGuffin. Yeah. And um, and look, there's a gaming term. Fetch quest, and I would say that this <laughs> film is made up largely of about four to five. When the fetch computer quests. games come out for this movie, <laughs> yeah. it will be, be go fetch. and get that, go and get that, go get this little bomb, <laughs> and it needs to plug into the gobbledygook, and then you fly the. Diddly and you bomb. need the other thing to do the yeah. thing. Yeah, and he was. Uh, I remember his Mission Impossible Three, uh, which featured um, Philip Seymour Hoffman as the baddie in that. It's a good one, and, and it was a really enjoyable mm. one. He was a great baddie. And there's a MacGuffin in that called the rabbit's foot. And you're just like, what? what is it? Like a nuclear trigger or something? It doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> Who cares? You never find out. The rabbit's foot doesn't matter. He does it all the time. He did it all the time in Alias. And you know what? I love Alias. That's one of my one of my all time favorite TV shows with Jennifer Garner, and it's just such great, trashy action spy uh, antics. It's he's good at this stuff. He knows what he knows how to sort of string a story together to wring out emotional beats. It was an experience at the movies because, again, as we you, you mentioned, the kids have no expectations, and I'm I'm an old fan, mm. so I've gone a fan for a long time. I'm not that old, I should say. Um, <laughs> the titles, the opening score kicks off, and you're like, oh, my God, it's Star Wars. There is a thrill from it's that an absolute, I get logo tingles. as it sort of retreats. Yeah. Into the center of the screen, I, I I love it. I also think about all the uh, numerous parodies where the crawl keeps going through <laughs> space, cutting into things and destroying <laughs> stuff. All these words floating through space balls, space balls. Yes, uh, but it's just speaking on the score on the score because it's it's like poetry in this one in particular. I found it really, really, really well done. John Williams always does brilliant scores, but this one was beautiful. Like there was some, in some of those battles when those notes are hitting, you just, yes. that's what's helping the emotion and it worked a treat. It's so good. Um, his score is terrific. And one of the things that does shock me about him, he is 87 and he wrote and conducted an amazing, amazing score. And it was very, it's very kind of fitting. I think that he do this film, but I loved it. And that uh, trailer that recently that fe- fe- featured a version of the Star Wars march that was like a minor key. It was stunning. It was so rousing and emotional. It was like, yes, I'm going to see this film. <laughs> Take my money. And and there's something very rousing and very moving instantly. And uh, it, I'm fascinated by because of the, how long it's been. It's this in Star Trek for me, but just how long and how much how many different bodies of work or people's bodies of work to, contributed to this one single uh, saga, all the filmmakers, all the designers, all the effects people and the actors, who, all the careers born out of it. So Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, but then you have um, the, all these new younger actors, Oscar Isaac, uh, who's gone on to do some great films, Daisy Ridley, who's a terrific actress, um, John Boyega. They've all gone on to the really successful in their own right. It's such a juggernaut. And I'm very wary of these elements that, you know, these perfect storm of elements, one of being, as the aforementioned Disney corporate element, the, the fact Carrie Fisher had died, 
the fact they only had eight minutes of footage of her from a scene in uh, Force Awakens that didn't have anything to do with what they were going to use the sequences for in this film. So they had to almost reverse engineer the plot based around the lines of dialogue she has. It's a, it, there were so many things. I can't imagine just how stressful. Apparently it was three months less time that he had than he had with Force Awakens to make this, which is well, a much bigger film. Yeah, there's a lot. They go to a lot of different locations, um, a lot of different planets, a lot more. There's a lot more in it. It is stuffed with stuff. And look, the story, like I said, the story is basically you could look at two different two different sessions of script writing. J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio. Chris Terrio wrote Justice League, Batman versus Superman. I don't know if that's <laughs> worth mentioning or not. Mm. And Derek Connolly and Colin Trevorrow wrote the other script, and it seems like they've smushed the two together, which is why they've both got they're, both pairs of writing partners have got credits as as story by. And I think that it does show in the finished product. But all I can think about is mm. I've been reviewing films for twenty uh, twenty one years, and and watching them for longer, and watching them for a lot longer, and. All I can think is it's how I feel when I walk out of the cinema. What is my initial feeling? And with this film, it was, wow, I'm so moved. I feel so satisfied. I really enjoyed that. It was I, fun. I text you saying, I, I'm, I'm a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> Overwhelmed. And then, and then my unfortunate sort of overly analytical hat goes on uh, in the car on the way home. And I just think, oh, there were some clunky bits in there. But because I'm looking at it, with all these things that I'm talking about, um, I was very aware of before I watched it. I knew that, look, this film, if he can land this Falcon, <laughs> uh-huh. 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 if he can land it, I'd be amazed. And he did. He did. He, he did. did. The only, the, you know, we're talking positives, but I did find that there was, uh, I just wanted a little more, uh, occasionally a moment of pause. Mm. We didn't have many, to, you can just absorb what's yes. just happened before we set off on the next big thing yeah the narrative work the narrative panel beating that he had to do in this film in order to make up for the stuff that had happened in the previous film and to kind of circumvent it he is piggybacking and then he's leapfrogging the the middle film for good or ill and we'll bring this up when we talk about in our issues section where we have issues that we want to talk about and that that will be a spoiler-tastic discussion (laughs) But because he's leapfrogging Last Jedi, he is essentially continuing with the themes and storylines that he either did put in place in Force Awakens or that he was going to put in place uh, in future films but didn't. And so he's having to do all that legwork as well as a basic plot that can get you moving towards a conclusion in this film. So as a result, there is a lot of exposition. There's a lot of, you don't get any moments of, I think what I would call real character moments where you're sitting with characters and kind of allowed to feel with them. And there's beats where that happens. I found Ray, like out of the three, Mm. she was her, her character in this. She was tremendous. There was so much like really. She's a terrific actor. She's very impressed by her. Uh, and that's what I can't understand it. why there was no bloody action figure. That's she carries the film. I'd have that. For all their woke braggadocia 
Disney really did not initially follow through on the strength of their convictions or the courage of their convictions, speaking about them like they're a person, but an entity, uh, because now they, they talk the talk and they try to walk the walk. But back then, no one was interested in, there was, there was a lot of doubt over a female-led action film. There was a lot of doubt over whether audience was, audiences would buy Ray as, as a lead character. And so that's the short shrift they gave to that character. Hence, there was no action figure designed. It was, it's crazy. It's crazy. But you think back on it now, and it, I mean, that was 2015. It wasn't that long ago. The decisions that Ryan Johnson made in Last Jedi were so contentious that they pissed off a legion of fanboys, some fanboys and fangirls, but not, not everybody. I loved it. But he wanted to see Luke grow and change as a character. Yeah. Um, and he said recently in a tweet. What, uh, what character development? Yeah. Oh, damn. And in a tweet, someone had tweeted him saying, Luke needs to be this. Luke needs to be that. Luke does this and does that. That's it. And Ryan Johnson said, what an insult for an actor to give yeah. him, a, him or her a role and say, here you go. Perform paint this. by numbers. Yeah. yeah, do exactly the same thing you've been doing for the last 30 years and, and uh, nothing different. It's not, it doesn't work that way. You have to flesh characters out and develop them, give them conflicts and give them issues and problems to overcome and obstacles. And it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that that's not pushed more in Star Wars films. But clearly J.J. Abrams looks at these films and goes, you know what the number one thing is about these movies? It's the way I felt when I walked out of the cinema when I saw that film in 1977. And I want to make people feel that way again. So he keys into, he mainlines nostalgia. He hits the freaking artery and um, and it just, he, 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 it guises yeah, nostalgia. Yes. But when it comes to Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, was he was so defiant, and I've read many interviews on talking about this, this attitude that it has to just be using the original as a touchstone, going back to what was done prior and... Just repeating that, rinse, repeat, don't deviate from the template and keep it very much trying and try and hit those tonal targets, which are doing that in itself is really hard. Yeah. It's really But you could also kill the franchise. But you could also kill the franchise. And that that's the thing, you know, like J.J. Abrams kind of uh, trajectory with his style and tone trying to recapture elements of the original film and the original trilogy and then ryan johnson was like no i'm actually going to look at look at actually what the story is about and this idea of sort of democratization of jedism or jediism if mm. what do you want to call that religion and to say that the force and the harnessing of it it's not but it's not royalty it's not bloodline it's not that you are of the royal bloodline skywalker therefore yeah. you can harness the force what we'll do is democratize it so it has nothing to do with that and it is a it's literally a universal force that anybody can harness and that ev that there are many people with the ability to do that um i believe it was broom boy is what people referred to the end of last jedi you know he, hold, he moves the broom with his hand and uh See, I, I loved using the star force. wars i loved it too but the only thing i'll say about the ryan johnson one is that it's just slightly too Oh, I think they're. But all that's always. I think they're all too long. Uh, but I, I had no problem with this one. Mm. It's, it, in this fact, one I think quickly. I read another yeah. another thing I was reading was that it was going to be one of the longest. Yeah. 
at two hours 39 or something mm. and it's back down to two hours 20 or something. So it's kind of one of the shorter ones. Yeah, two, two hours 22. Yeah. It needs to justify why it's two hours or more yeah. for me. Yeah. That's why the Pirates films, forget it. Forget it. I'm half asleep by by the sort of middle of the. Oh, those Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp pirates. Of the I like the first films. one. First one had bits in it because it was new. There was yeah, a newness was of it. His character. Once he came back to do his uh, Keith Richards impression again, it didn't really uh, didn't really. Play what are they up me. to? Seventeen now. Um, as I understand <laughs> it, I they are re- joke, yeah. they they the aforementioned Disney are rebooting that franchise. Oh. So it's currently with Craig Mazin, he of Chernobyl. So he wrote the showrunner for Chernobyl, wrote Hangover uh, sequels. But Chernobyl and Pirates of the Caribbean, very different little... I will say this. He used to be uh, relatively high up or he was on the board of the WGA. So he's kind of an industry dude as well, insider. So he he knows a lot of people and formed a lot of relationships. So I guess he's a, a trusted hand. He's got a lot of experience. And you'd watch Chernobyl and think... Okay, if the dude can pull this off, mm. he can make a pirate. Oh, I love Chernobyl. Yeah. I thought it was an amazing show. And bearing in mind, he was like a producer on on set, hands on on Chernobyl. It wasn't just a, a writing thing that he did. He but, was but, there you know, we, we speak of uh, fanboy serving. Mm. Uh, there was no mention of midi chlorians. That is the one thing that I was ha- most most happy with this film. But I guess now we're going to move out of uh, non-spoilerish because we. I mean, I have. I should say we've kind of been talking about Last Jedi, but I mean, I'm presuming anyone who's listening to this has seen Last Jedi. So if you haven't, it's two years old. Why haven't you? Yeah, I'd be like, well, I don't understand. Uh, where's what's the cutoff there? But anyway, we've spoiled some of Last Jedi by talking about it, but nothing too deep, I think. But more uh, that idea of the conversation between two distinct and very, very distinct filmmakers and their styles that I found interesting. But overall, emotionally enjoyable. It's engaging. It was fun as hell. Yeah, and I laughed yep. and chuckled a lot, and it was just a big laugh, chuckled, cried, big warm nostalgia bath, and yep. it totally a couple works. of deep breath moments for me. So. <gasps> yeah, deep breath moments. Yeah. So now, dear listener, we're going to move into our spoiler tastic spoiler apocalypse. You can cut that out if you like. That's all right. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move into a spoiler discussion now because at this point we're gonna talk about uh, issues with the film. Now, I I don't know if I don't know how you feel about this, but I can pretty quickly do a plot rundown. If you want to run through the film, we can just opine about this particular sequences because there's nuts. gonna be stuff that I'll forget. Yep. Uh, if we just talk about bullet point issues, and yeah, because my notes are just random, I'm just trying to flip through them here as we talk. Yeah. So anyone who's listening to this, I'm presuming you've seen Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. If you haven't, then you should probably just turn this off and go and see Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. Pause it, watch the movie, and come back, yep. and then come back and listen to the rest of it because we're gonna. I'm now gonna go through the plot methodically as if I am reading out the story to you, which is pretty much what I'm gonna do, and I think we're just gonna. Just feel free to throw out your opinions about particular topics. Yep. But uh, look, the plot rundown is, so investigating a mysterious message, Kylo Ren, no, Adam Driver, uh, or melted Keanu Reeves, as people say. (laughs) (laughs) Kylo Ren obtains a Sith Wayfinder device, and he travels to the planet Exegol, and he he finds a physically impaired Palpatine. Dun, dun. 
Yes. Something, something dark side. <laughs> something, something complete. Right. So he finds Palpatine, who reveals that he created Snoke. The aforementioned Snoke, who was often, if you remember, the big red throne room fight in Last Jedi, he gets cut in half with a lightsaber in a very creative way. He created Snoke as a puppet to control the First Order, the big bads for the last two films. He's been pulling the strings all this time. He's been pulling the strings all this time. And, and what's his end game? He wants to lure Kylo to the dark side. Well, Palpatine unveils a secret armada of Star Destroyers. Oh, you mean... You mean they've had planet-destroying ships this entire time? Yeah, they've just been sitting there. What? And, and they were worrying about a Starkiller base in the first film? What's the point of that? I mean, they could have just flown two ships. So, boom, take out that part of the galaxy. Uh, there's that retconning we were talking about. Anyway, he unveils that secret armada of Star Destroyers, tells Kylo to find and kill Rey, who's continu- continuing her Jedi training <laughs> under General Leia Organa. Yeah, she's a Jedi Master now. She's a Jedi Master, if you if you didn't know that already. I mean, I think we, you're kind of meant to presume that from the space flying sequence in The Last Jedi. And I think that confused a lot of people and they didn't quite understand. But the entire point... The force is strong with her. The force is strong with her. The entire point of Yoda's allusions to that and uh, his fact that Luke has a sister and the fact that she's strong in the force. The Emperor flat out says, maybe if you won't turn, perhaps she will because she is as big a prize force-wise yeah, as Luke yeah, is. Yeah. So you can accept that she is as powerful or, or as capable of being as powerful as Luke. So she saved herself from the vacuum of space in Last Last Jedi. So anyway, she's training. Fortunately. Fortunately. Uh, meanwhile, Finn, Poe Dameron, and Chewbacca received retrieve info uh, originating from a First Order spy an unknown spy, confirming Palpatine's return. Ray discovers notes in Luke's uh, Jedi texts on a Sith artifact that could lead them to Palpatine. Ray, Poe, Finn, Chewbacca, BB-8 and C-3PO leave for Pasana to seek a contact Luke knew while R2-D2 stays behind with Leia. On Pasana, they encounter Lando Calrissian. Yay! Ah! Hey, it's Billy D. Williams, everybody. Hey, it's the, in the thirty-four years between the last time he was on playing that role and this one. It's pretty cool. It's he, great. He's a bit of a Buddha. He does have that kind of vibe about him. Big smiling Buddha. Yep. Like he just seems like he's a. He's got that kind of. I wise. was happy to see him. He's a happy presence, and that is the level I think Billy D. exists on in this film. Was just like, hey, it's Lando. Every <laughs> time five. he turns up, it's like, ah, oh, he's awesome. Lando, you're awesome. Yep. Do you have any plot exposition or character development? Hey, no. No. <laughs> okay, that's cool. We'll just uh, get on with the film then. doesn't matter. You make me feel good by you just being there in that cape. So Lando Calrissian leads them to the artifacts. They're after it, this uh, Wayfinder. And he leads them to the artifact's last known location in the desert. Now, and uh, that was a very cool uh, speeder chase sequence with it. They fly now. Yeah, they fly now. All that sort of stuff. And um, that's yeah. one of the lines I'm, pe- I'm seeing people complaining about. I liked it. I just chuckled. Made me laugh. Every film is sort of up to the Stormtrooper ante. And yep. I did notice that in this film, they do feature. Did you notice how many versions of Stormtroopers they yeah, feature? Lots, yeah, lots. They, they do all the Red, the, the red Guard ones uh, from the Emperor's. Private guard. They did the Sith, the black evil ones, with those shiny black suits who also appeared in the Mandalorian. But we're not going to talk about that. Otherwise, we'll digress massively. And uh, the latest episode, by the way, was awesome. I, I like the last. Yeah, yeah. yeah. De- Deborah Chow again. Yeah, I think there's something in that, isn't it? Yeah, I yep. think she's a terrific filmmaker. But anyway, 
So um, Lando leads them to this artifact's last known location. At the same time, Kylo learns where Rey is through their force bond, or as it's been called, force time, where you can <laughs> have a conversation with someone sort of semi-physically, which is kind of a bit saucy as well. Because, I mean, if you remember in Last Jedi, there was the shirtless force time sort of sequence where you weren't sure if he was sort of hitting on Ray or if he was just... I guess She asked him to put his shirt back it, on. Yeah, she did. And I guess you could say that is a seduction. It is a seduction, yeah. right? So they kind of sexualize it by chesting it up a bit with uh, Adam Driver. He's a built dude. Why not? You know? Yep. And uh, so he uh, force times with Ray, and he figures out she's on this planet. So he travels to Pasana. With actually, quite, I quite like that device though. He we rips the necklace off her, and he's like, yeah. "What's this? We'll examine this. Where's it from?" This is the desert uh, where the alien Burning Man is. Yes. Yes. Did you notice the line? So C three PO says, "This happens once every forty two years." Yes. What? Ha- That's forty two years ago. Star Wars came out. Mm. Is that what they're celebrating? Is oh, that like I don't a, know. Is that like a? I just thought that stuff? was a curious. Uh, it is. It was strange factoid. that it's forty. Why he said forty-two years? Like it is a kind of odd to me that he chose that number, or maybe that is the meaning of the of life as well. So well, damn, life, the universe, and everything. So Ray and the others out in the desert. Uh, oh, I should say, so Kylo has ripped the necklace off, if you remember, and he travels to Pasana with the Knights of Ren, who are kind of cool-looking dudes with spears and axes. They're sort of all in black. They look like they're sort of heavy metal versions of LARPers, the live-action role players, you know, <laughs> and they just turn up, and it's they don't really do anything cool, but they look cool, yeah, and that's what cool. matters. That's yep. what matters. And uh, so Kylo gets his dudes says, bros, we're going to screw up these people on Pasana and I'm going to turn this uh, young girl to the dark side. So off they go. And so the others were Ray and you've got Poe and you've got uh, Finn. They Anyway, they discover the remains of uh, an assassin's ship and, uh, and a dagger on that ship that's inscribed with Sith text, which in a convenient plot device, C-3PO's programming forbids him from interpreting. I found that quite fascinating. I'm like, why? What's going to happen next? Why Why yes. would you do that? Well, in order for me to interpret it, you have to completely wipe my memory. And I'm like, mm, this is really strange, specious, odd storytelling. Well, he's had his memory wiped before. He's had his memory wiped before. And I kind of, it, to me, it felt a little bit like when he gets uh, blown apart in Empire and mm. he's being carried around by Chewie <laughs> with Chewy. his leg up on one <laughs> angle and stuff. That always made me laugh. But then we got the, op- if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have met uh, Babu Frick. Babu Frick is an extremely appealing little puppet character sort of has a very, it's very cute. I can, yes, and I looked at him and just thought, Merch. <laughs> I thought this yeah, Funko Pop are already <laughs> popping champagne bottles in yes. their boardroom and laughing. But it was so, he was a cool character. I it him. was it yeah. was a cool little character. Yeah. I quite like I I love design and mm. I love the elements of design in Star Wars. And I've talked before on uh, other podcasts about the the iconography of Star Wars. And so I love the new I love new alien characters. And, and you know, what did you think of the Dio? Now, that's the other character that they introduced. Uh, yeah, Dio, a little droid voiced by J.J. Abrams. Oh, I didn't know that. And there, that it, little... it, it looks like the Pixar logo. 
It did make me laugh when uh, when he zoomed up and uh, I think Ray held out her hand to him and he went, oh, no, 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 thank you. And uh, because it's, it's J.J. Abrams and it, that somehow personality-wise kind of sums up what I think what he's a bit what he's like. He's kind of hesitant now, uh, not very polite to a fault and just like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, uh, uh, no, thank you. It's uh, merchandise uh, again, isn't it? It's very cute. And, and he, I liked it. It just, I liked it. Yeah, see, it. I've written I that didn't... down in red, though. So red, it, it, red you, is my problem. You had a bit of a, an mm-hmm. awooga. It's moment. like, well, it's kind of redundant. Oh, most of it is redundant. <laughs> <laughs> most of it is superfluous shit. But it was so bloody enjoyable. In I the know, sort you of, can't. I... In the rush of the sugar-coated, uh, fizzy, colourful bullshit, it, you just get pulled along. Well, you get that nice moment, Ray oils his wheel. Yes, so, yes, yeah. and it's very sweet, and I like Joy's stuff. So maybe it's not redundant because it gave her that little bit of heart. I get, yeah, I think um, she kind of struggled more a bit heart, I this. guess. Yeah, in this movie, she was significantly angrier than yes. she was in the last film. She was back to how she was in the first film. That's the, my other complaint with this film is that you do kind of hit reset on mm-hmm. the character development, and because it's the old director back, he wants them to behave the same way they behaved in Force Awakens, in order to fit the continuity of the newer story yep. that's been sort of forced on top. And he's going, no, no, because you can't feel this way in this scene. It has to be more heightened or you've got to be angrier because you're still feeling this and that's going to justify your decision to do that and X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You can totally, it feels like she's got, it's, there's no smooth continuity in terms of the character. But you look at her because when um, um, Kylo Ren's on the, on the desert planet and Ray's holding the ship that's got, Chewy yes. captured. Yeah. Oh, that was a great scene, wasn't it? That was a great scene. I had no issues at all with the Force lightning coming out of her hands. Not I at all. Thought, I'm just like, oh just my thought, god! Thank you. Finally, yes. they're doing something a bit more interesting with the Force. I'm yes. sick of this. This sort of hold your hand up, Force choking. Let's see some proper powers. That was cool. I was really, really impressed by that. But the other, just while we speak on the Force powers, because the Mandalorian came out the night before the movie hit the cinema. Yes. And uh, spoiler for that. Yeah, well, if you're watching new Star Wars, you've probably seen Mandalorian. Yeah, so Yoda maybe, does, maybe baby Yoda does that thing where he helps heal. Oh, yeah. Because yes. the force heals now. And it now. also was three slashes. Hmm. Did you notice that? It was actually a same, the same looking wound, which I thought was interesting. It, it was like three, three slashes he, and he had... Because um, um, Ray and Ben both do it in yeah. in, in this film. Mm, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, there was a, the new force powers on display in this, and particularly the uh, ending, which a lot of people have slagged off. Like sidebar, a lot of reviewers are sarcastic shits. And they like to show how witty they are at being sarcastic shits and sort of write picky, overly analytical uh, reviews that are not necessarily reactions articulated. They're more a review of a film they wish it had been. I was going to say, have you read, you're speaking about the Forbes uh, magazine. I've read quite a few. Actually. Oh my I God, saw the Forbes, Forbes one. It was nasty. Yeah. Some of them are just flat out nasty. It's like, it's oh, like, dude, you didn't see the same film I saw. Yeah. Or it's like, you know what? What happened to you that day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You watched the film. But what else happened to you that day? What else were you doing? Did you have a crap day? Did you crash your car? Did you get a parking ticket? Did someone swear at you on the way to the cinema? Yeah. You were clearly Or have you got a kid eating mood. chips next to you? Yeah. yeah. Like we, I did. You, you just took against this or 
you take against the corporatized cinema of a company like Disney, and there are many others, you took against that before you sat down. And you that's an attitude you have. And so then you're looking at the film in a certain way. Whereas for me, I would say that I just look at it as I'd, I had expectations in terms of what the style would be, but I had none in terms of story. And I'm pretty easily satisfied with, with Star Wars stuff. I'm not a massive geek with the minutiae of the Star no, Wars No, likewise. You, I, I went down the rabbit hole the other day on Wikipedia and all the, you know, those... And it's like, oh my God, I don't know any of this stuff. Mm. I just know that I love the films. Yeah. I think that's kind of nailed how I approached enjoying this film. That sounds like a really strange comment, but I make a decision in my head to just go with it. And the way I view it is uh, it's not a direct descendant of the previous episode. It's almost like The Simpsons in that it's kind of just resetting a little bit and it's telling a different kind of story, but it's kind of following on from the themes and the sort of main plot line. And everything else, like all the inconsistencies, I just just thought, well, what's the hell, what's the point of worrying about it? Yeah. I just go with it. Go for the ride. It's fun. And of course there's inconsistencies. A lead actor died on the last film and it had to be dramatically rewritten. That was one of my breath moments, like deep breath when she came on the screen. Yeah. Yeah, she's, it's, it's, yeah, it's such a loss. She was an awesome person. And, um, the fact that she's, uh, no um, longer with us, no longer with us does suck. But, uh, I, I have to say anyway. That was kind of part of how I approached it anyway. Just this sort of, I didn't so much as leave my brain at the door. It's just I have a good awareness of what has transpired behind the scenes on these films. And so I didn't expect like a miracle. I didn't expect J.J. Abrams to suddenly do this really pessimistic, gritty think piece on, <laughs> on, on, on sort of the nature of the bloodlines and family and betrayal. It's like, no, he's going to do an action adventure film. It's, it's, a, it's a Saturday B movie. Uh, he wants the, you know, he wants a, a salty treat and a sweet candy and a drink to wash it down. And you're like thumbs up saying that was awesome fun. And Great. that's what he, that's what he delivers. So anyway, they're on, uh, they're on this desert planet where there's a uh, alien burning man and Kylo arrives. Ray is there. Um, so they're on this, uh, remains of the ship. They find this dagger with the Sith text and C3PO's programming forbids them from interpreting it. So they've sort of, oh, well, there's an obstacle. We've got to overcome that. How are we going to do it? Oh, we've got to, we've got to essentially do a procedure that will wipe his memory. And so, uh, the first order uh, while Ray and Kylo are confronting each other in an extremely cool sequence, when that Tie Fighter with the dagger, oh, wings she's running along and the it, desert, oh. and then she flips over the top of the it. Good flip, motion. good flip, good flip, and then uh, does a bit of force, uh, a force jiggery pokery, <laughs> slices through one of the wings. It was, it was fantastic. That's that was cool. a beautiful sequence, and um, that was very well executed. It was tense, involved. actually. You could, you, you know, the anticipation of, oh my god, it's coming. Yeah. What's she going to do? It was cool. It was like a game of chicken. It was very cool. So, and while it's happening, first order capture Millennium Falcon, Chewie, and the dagger. So Ray attempting to save Chewbacca, uh, does doing a bit of uh, force lightning action. Accidentally blows up the ship that she is manipulating, which is the ship. Chewie, we saw Chewie getting on a transport. So. The rest of the group escape on the assassin ship uh, with Ray, and they presume that Chewbacca was killed in the explosion. She believes that she killed him, and she, but uh, they're all saying it wasn't your fault. It was, you know, Kylo Ren was also messing with you while you were trying to stop that ship from taking off. 
So Poe suggests that they travel to Kijimi to have the Sith text extracted from C-3PO's memory. And the text reveals coordinates to a wayfinder on Kef Burr. I didn't even know that was the name of the planet. Maybe they need to start having like little naming cards for the planets because that would help me and people of a uh, an elderly uh, elderly disposition. <laughs> You're so ancient. I'm so ancient. I just I lose track of where they are and what planet they're on. And C-3PO's memory is wiped as a result of the extraction of that information. And that sort of has this little scene where the back of his head's exposed and he's got the wires and he's looking at the group of, you know, Ray and Finn and Poe. And, and they ask him, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he goes, I'm taking one last look at my friends. And I, it's very moving. And But do you think that they quite happily quickly go, yeah, right, I do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing. It's, it's that you're supposed to, um, you're supposed to really feel for C-3PO in that moment. Oh, I and did. Think, and think, oh man, the things he's been through and all these people that he's had, had been friends with them. And it's like, are they really his friends or are they all just total dicks to him? We need and, a translator, yeah. George. <laughs> <laughs> I think Han Solo, everybody, they're just, everyone is a dick to C-3PO. I think if he was of a more violent uh, sort of uh, disposition, he would probably... <laughs> Well, I think all they all up. they probably needed from him was a mute button. Yeah, I think maybe they needed a remote control where they can just shut him up. Yep. I do remember the Han Solo putting his hand over his mouth in that sequence. I think that was Empire, wasn't it? <laughs> While he's talking. So yeah, the the uh, whole C three PO, the setup for that, and the emotion it got out, it got the right, it hit the right note. Yeah. And this is what I am kind of in awe of with J.J. Abrams is he can play audiences. I think like a piano. So C-3PO's memory is wiped as a result of the extraction. So that's quite sad, and um, um, and it's very moving. And you do, and it was like, wow, it's kind of like they're killing him or something. It was, it was quite awful. And uh, I did like how his eyes went red when he was. Yeah, Sith. it's like the language, the language of yeah. Mordor or something. You know, he, he, the dark language. So uh, Ray senses that Chewbacca is alive, and this is. Uh, because there's a proximity of uh, Imperial bad guys, Imperial First Order. It's all the same. And Chewie's close, so she can feel him. So the group mount a rescue mission up to one of the ships. Uh, so while Kylo searches for Ray, it's like Kylo's just like this um, kind of stalky ex-boyfriend that's constantly trying to FaceTime his girl. And, hey, girl, what you doing? Constantly. It's Constantly. like wanting to, uh, what, what you up to? And she's like, what do you, what do you want? He's like, where oh, are you? Where are you? What, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? <laughs> can I, can I turn you to the bad side? Can I turn you to the dark side? I just want to turn you evil, baby. And that's basically what's going on. It's just this obsession between them where Kylo's hunting her. She's hunting for the wayfinder. Um, so again, wayfinder is the MacGuffin. Yeah. And so with C3, C3PO's memories wiped, Kylo searching for Ray. The group infiltrate the Star Destroyer with the help of Zori Bliss. Good character. Yeah. I actually quite enjoyed her as but, a character. But yeah. it, it gave Poe a backstory. I liked that. Yeah. And with, I mean, look, the idea of would I watch a Poe uh, spice pirate yeah. backstory uh, sort of limited series? Yeah. Absolutely. With her in it? Mm -hmm. Yep. Kerry Russell's awesome. As, uh, and, I'm a big and, fan and, of hers. Would you would you have Finn in there too? Because uh, you can't you can't break up that bromance. Yeah, there is a bit of a bromance, and they do kind of allude to that in the film a little bit. But um, just be, just through Finn's lack. Oh, because of, it's a backstory, we wouldn't we wouldn't have met Finn by then. This is true. 
So it would have to be way before. Uh, it, you could probably do it with a different younger actor. You know, you do it with Solo, why not? But I think they'd probably throw some money at Oscar Isaac. Depends how big this is, this one. But it, they could throw some cash at Oscar and say, hey, do a limited series. I mean, Paul Bettany's doing it, and you've got all these Marvel big actors doing it. What, what we just on the. Do you know anything about the uh, Diego Luna character from Rogue One having a. Yes. Is that still. Is yeah. that on? Yep. Yeah, cool. Yep. That is on. Deborah Chow is not the showrunner for. Kenobi, she is directing the first episode, and I guess more as well. But she's, as far as I know, she's directing it. And whether that means she's directing every single episode, mm-hmm. it is a limited series, so probably. But yeah, so there's Obi Wan uh, show. There's a uh, Diego Luna Rogue One character. Uh, I think that sounds interesting yeah. as well. He was actually a pretty cool character. Yeah, he was. There's that, and it seems like that could tie in with Mandalorian. He could possibly even pop up on Mandalorian at one some point. They, oh, they're bound to one episode him. to go. I I really enjoyed that Bounty Hunter episode, one with Bill Burr and all the other actors on That's the prison episode ship. six, the prison ship, yeah. which was like a train robbing. We'll scene. we'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> I actually really, I, I just really enjoyed it. it was oh, I thought it was the involved. weakest of the. Episode. I won't, I won't argue because I found um, the writing to not be as strong with that episode. I think the last episode that's just dropped. That's great. That is probably the best. Yeah. Because that it was, was so, amazing. it had so much story and yeah. there was so much answered in it and it was so, the action set pieces are terrific. Anyway. Yeah, I just want to say, episode six seemed like uh, to tune in next week for more Bounty Hunter Adventure. Same, same bat channel, same, yeah. same bat time. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It, mm. it, it, it felt like, you know what it felt like? Uh, a job of the week yeah. type thing yeah. where it's literally like a network show. S- still, I'm not saying it's terrible. No, it's just no. the weakest of the it's lot. Just, it's been such a high bar set, yeah. right? Um, so they're on Kajimi. Uh, so Zori Bliss, played by Kerry Russell, a star of such great shows as uh, uh, the Russians, but also, oh, sorry, the Americans, <laughs> the Russians, <laughs> playing Russians in the Americans. Right. And uh, she's terrific in that, by the way. But uh, I think most notably, she is the star of Felicity, which was J.J. Abrams' first TV show. That I don't even know what that is. You don't need, you should Google it. Felicity. <laughs> there was a 98 and aired till 2002. So okay. the creators were J.J. Abrams. And Matt Reeves, director of the Apes trilogy and the new Batman film. But that was J.J. Abrams' first show. And after okay. that, from that, he went to Alias. So him and Kerry Russell, because she was in Mission Impossible 3, she was actually in the beginning of that film and that raid with Tom Cruise. Him and her have a pretty great action sequence where they clear out a building together of bad guys. Um, she's really capable. She's got that kind of action chops as she's demonstrated before and, and with, with the Americans. She's and she's quite terrific. sassy in this too. Yeah, I yeah. like that. She's got a good vibe, I think. Yeah, she's a great character. Hunter, sassy yeah. character. I hate to use the word sassy, but... Hey, I used it first. Sassy. <laughs> and so uh, essentially, Zori Bliss, who I have a feeling will wind up in something like The Mandalorian because it seems like that's her universe. Although... I don't know how that works timeline-wise. How many years have actually gone by in the Skywalker saga? Oh, well, that's three? about 30, 30 years between, isn't it? Yeah, it would Jedi. Be in that case, it probably wouldn't work mm. unless she's got some sort of longevity oxygen tent, life-sustaining thing. I don't know. So she's an old friend of Poe's, and that worked. I totally bought that. She was from his bad old days when he was a space runner. I don't know what that's supposed to be like um, code for. Is that supposed to be like he's... 
like he's saying he used to be a heroin smuggler or something. Do you know what I mean? Look, because they will look at him really a spice a spice runner. Uh, like it's like is spice like heroin or something? Is it like Dune where the spice controls the universe? I don't know. I could Google it. You could Google it, or we, we yeah, or we could just um, continue living our lives. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> through through the force, Kylie tells Ray. So they're force timing. He tells Ray that she is Palpatine's granddaughter. No, you're not a nobody. Your parents were were not nobodies. They just chose to be nobodies. But your parents were actually your father was uh, Palpatine's son. And so, big reveal. Big reveal. Yeah. I mean, that is... We've been waiting huge. two films for this. We've been waiting two films for this, and I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't the reveal that they intended, but it's what they had to work with. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and it was fine for me. I, I liked I liked it to a point. I liked it because, look, I actually think it's kind of legit, even though Chris Terrio, because that, that tweet I was telling you about with the audio from his Q&A, he's copying shit for making that script writing decision but it's based off something that was legit in in Attack of the Clones where they talked about the fact that the dark side can be the path to sort of this um to a, a eternal life in a weird way you can keep living you can keep you can swap bodies and i know in the greater in the greater canon in the comics and the books apparently a body swapping emperor has happened before so he's been alive sw- and his, his consciousness would leap and yeah, it's not. Bodies. It's not. It's nothing to be so concerned with. I think it's completely acceptable. because yeah. it also would. So she's she's in Force Awakens. She's lonely and angry, mm. but it's not just anger from being alone and wondering where her parents are. She's got Palpatine in her. Yeah, that they're not good people. They're not good people. So it kind of explains her confliction. Yes. Um, and That's an eloquent her, way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, the, the, just the sort of the, the, the trouble she has wrestling the sort of angry side, the dark side and the good side, the happy side of it. She's a, by the way, she, Daisy Ridley does really well given the fact that they have to do plot gymnastics to mm. get around a lot of the stuff, the legacy stuff from the other films and to get it story-wise where it needs to go. She's awesome and she sells it. That's what I thought. I think she, is the she's overall. been good in all of them, but I really liked her in this one. Yeah, I think she was really, really solid. So through the force, Kylo tells Ray she's Palpatine's granddaughter and he says, look, Palpatine ordered your death as a child uh, and your parents feared that he would kill you, so they left you on uh, Jakku and they buggered off. Then they were ultimately killed themselves but you were safe. Palpatine ordered her death because he fears her power. So clearly she's as powerful or more powerful than him. Something, something dark side. <laughs> so Ray complete. Ray recovers the dagger and has visions of the assassin using it to kill her parents. So she sort of visualizes that. We see her seeing it, in, which then kind of ratchets up the emotion even more. General Hux discovers the group on board, reveals that he himself is the spy that leaked the information, and he allows them to escape on the Falcon. What does he tell his superior? Oh, he tells them, I don't want the Rebels to win. I just want Kylo Ren to lose. Yes. Which made me laugh, and it kind of, what that does is it's plot spack filler over the fact that he was an utter buffoon for all of Last Jedi, (laughs) and you did feel for the guy where you just think, 
Donald Gleeson is such a phenomenal actor and you just think all he gets to do in this film is basically just get hammered by Kylo Ren by Adam Driver and just is the just mocked and you know takes pratfalls and gets hit and beat up and and then gets shot by Richard E Grant. And then in this a, a terrific Richard E Grant. Richard E Grant <laughs> so was just good. born to play yeah. an imperial uh, what is it uh pride. Yes. Uh, yes, um Admiral Pride with a Y. With a Y. And uh so General Hux uh, helps them escape, despite the fact he tries to cover it up and pretends that he's been injured. Uh, well, he is injured, but he sort of... Uh, he asked to be, he didn't asks he? Yeah. To be Shoot me, please. Shoot me, please. And he's executed for treason. He's not actually executed for treason. He's blown away by Richard E. Grant in the most <laughs> offhand manner. And I loved it. Richard E. Grant is so cold and steely-eyed when he wants to He be. was good. Uh, like he's it. awesome. Yeah. Uh, I don't think at this point he's a bit of an international treasure when it comes to films. So he, he can do no wrong. Yeah. I just want to read his diaries about it. That's what I want to read working on the film. I don't know if you've ever read his, uh, with nails, his, um, no. his diaries about working on Hudson Hawk and other productions that they're terrific. He dishes the best stories. Like he's, he's awesome. Very funny. I'll add that to yeah. the list. With nails. Really, really great book. So, General Hux discovers the group, helps them leave. He gets executed. At the same time, Palpatine sends one of his Star Destroyers. <laughs> what does he say? Arise. <laughs> and uh, and out of the ice. And then one of the most terrific visuals is all these uh, triangular Star Destroyers sort of busting through the ice. But there's hundreds yeah, of them. Yeah, hundreds of them. And you're just like, well, who's on board all of these? And what are they? How did it? And who built them? Who built them? Space... Magic. Yeah. Space wizards. Same thing Scott Morrison believes in. Same anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, although I think he's definitely on the dark side of the force. Oh, we just got political. Anyway, don't worry. Uh, Or did I get moral? No, I got Uh, moral. There's a big difference. Yes. (laughs) So, uh, basically, after Hux is executed and Palpatine sends one of his Star Destroyers, it's armed with a cannon that can destroy planets. Destroy them. Wipe them out (laughs) to destroy Kajimi as a warning to other planets to either submit to his rule or face the same fate it's just mm, I don't know if that's actually articulated that that's just this is a plot description I got from online and it's pretty detailed but I don't think it's that I think he, he there's no announcement it's not like he pronounces to the universe that he's there I think he's just the mitre he has a fleet that's kind of hidden. They're all, it's painted a little bit blacker. I like that. Mm. N- none of that grey or white crap for these imperial baddies. It's like black triangles that just appear out of nowhere with enormous cannons <laughs> on them. And the cannons, when conveniently, they come out of- cannons apparently have nuclear reactors behind them, yeah. which that's quite convenient if you say trying to blow one up. <laughs> so basically Palpatine Star Destroyers arrive. They're going to destroy Kajimi. Ray and the crew are on board the spaceship. Ray is in the quarters of Kylo Ren, fishing through all his gear like a stalker. They're basically two stalkers falling for each other. Oh, hang it's on, like, there's a different battle, isn't and it? Or is it the same battle? It's the same one. And they're elsewhere. In the, our good guys are elsewhere in the ship, trying to get uh, uh, another MacGuffin. No, but I, I'm confused. And on the planet's surface, Kylo Ren's landed, and he's looking for Ray, and he's like, "You're not here." And, and then oh, so you've got right. this Where are you? outside right. set. Of this, the, the town at night with fire and embers, and it's kind of this cool uh, intercut 
nice. It was really nicely edited, those bits. The intercut sort of forced time conversation where they can sort of hand physical objects or physical interaction. Can which comes happen. to play in the end. Which comes to play in the end. I actually really, really like that. Two things I really enjoyed in this. It set up two things I'd never seen before in a Star Wars film, and they are granted they are mainly aesthetic, but they are cool mm-hmm. with a capital C. And that is the force timing, which felt for as much as I love Last Jedi and laud it for how um, you know pioneering it was, I think in the changes, even the small changes it tried to make to the Star Wars um, kind of formula. What I liked about it. And that it introduced at least was force timing yeah. and the shirtless sort of force time chat between Ray and Kylo was a bit sort of <laughs> when you watch it, but in this it's terrifically done. And this idea that you can actually physically, and this was pioneered a little bit by Luke Skywalker at the end of last Jedi, yeah. um, where you can physically project something with the force. So the idea that you could reach through space and time, grab something and steal it or take it using the force. That's a cool idea. And the other cool idea is light speed jumping, which I thought was phenomenal as a concept for a chase. And I'd never seen anything like that in Star Wars. You would think, though, it would be just slightly too dangerous. I know. But, it, you know, it was. It was crazy what they were doing. And they're sort of when they wind up in the middle of like a – it looked like Coruscant or something. Like yeah. they're in the middle of like a cityscape and flying. It's crazy. And then, bang, you jump to light speed again. You're in another location. And it's the visual Isn't there texture. a little bit of retcon on that, though? There's something or other about the well, light speed, bloody I something that, or others. Well, that all I've known when it comes to hyperdrive, the Millennium Falcon is not very reliable, right? So yeah. the idea that it did that. But they do suffer repercussions because of it. I mean, it's, it's burning when they yeah. land. And yeah. so there's lots of arguments about why did you do that? And Ray yells at Poe. So it works as a device, but that is such a terrific visual device. I hope they use that in some other Star Wars uh, universe set films in the future. It's great. It was good. So they've destroyed Kajimi as a warning to other planets to either submit to its submit to my rule or face the same fate. <laughs> so the group arrive on Kef Burr and which is sort of a ocean, uh, it's kind of like a, almost like a Norse type planet with sort of rough, rugged terrain, green terrain, but then you've got massive oceans, big black. They were beautifully animated. Those looked terrific. They land on this planet and it's on this planet that they meet Janna and it's a it's a colony of former stormtroopers and that's i thought was a really interesting idea i love the idea of because finn's like i'm not the only one yeah and finn's like i'm not the only one and that stars naomi aki as Janna. so kajimi's destroyed the group arrive in kefbur they meet Janna. she takes them to the remains of the second death star the death star that got blown up yes at the end of jedi return of the jedi yeah I, it didn't land on Endor. Yeah, I was looking at it thinking, why would it have landed there? Maybe it obviously part of it just it yeah, blew okay. up, it blew out part of the debris. Because we do, we do have Ewoks. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yes. I, have to, I have to admit, and that was Warwick Davis and his son, oh, which I thought was really sweet, playing yeah. his Ewok son. Yeah, I thought that was really cute. Yes, it is. And so they arrive at the second Death Star. Ray locates the Wayfinder. Kylo still, you know, he's still crushing on Ray. He still wants to track her down like a stalker. Uh, he's tracked the group to Kef Beer, K-E-F space B-I-R, Kef Beer. And it sounds like something you drink that's like a, pro- a probiotic or something. <laughs> And he destroys the Wayfinder and he duels Ray in probably the best. I think this is up there with the Qui-Gon Jinn Obi-Wan It's duel. terrific. It it's may an be amazing it may scene be better. On, on top of that. We're sort of at this point now where the, there's like Wushu 
lightsaber fights, which I always imagined. But can you imagine them floating through the air doing all this stuff? It was amazing. It was amazing, and it was stunningly shot as well. But they also did a really good job of it because even like at one point she's she's let go of her lightsaber, moved to the other hand, and is is, and you know is flexing the hand, and Mm. it worked. It was really, really, really well executed. It was so dramatic, the big heaving waves yeah. uh, uh, behind them and around And them. how she got there. Remember mm. she caught that little bloody boat thing? The outrigger yeah. type thing. And, and that monolith that's sort of floating above the ground that she has to walk under. And there's this cool shot of her walking and with this, this thin slit of light on the it's horizon. All, all done well. It, like I said, uh, it is so beautifully filmed, like the actual cinematography and the design. It's stunning. Like I was deeply impressed with how it looked. I think it's Dan Mindel, who's, or Mindel, who's the cinematographer. He shot the first Star Trek. Another good example of how J.J. Abrams can wring an emotional moment seemingly out of nowhere. Mm. How does he do it? I don't. No, he's a bit of an alchemist when it comes to that. But that that sequence of the woman giving birth, Kirk's mother and Kirk's dad, Thor, Chris Hemsworth, and on the crashing ship, and it's all done in cross-cutting and then with the, the baby and where, you know, there's a baby escape, the baby is Jim Kirk, is it going to get off the ship? And the drama, it's like the first 10 minutes of the film. Mm. It's before you even see the opening logo. And you, I have to admit, when I first saw Star Trek, I was kind of clapping slowly thinking... Well done, sir. You know, that is the ability to create an emotional sequence with characters you do not know based on nostalgia, based on, in that case, your feelings about Star Trek, Captain Kirk, the idea of Captain Kirk, his story, that baby is Captain Kirk. He nails it because he he knows, and I think John Favreau's taken a, a little leaf out of his book with Baby Yoda, and I think that Baby Yoda taps into those same nostalgic good feelings, but also is a uh, works as a plot device mm. but by attaching a, what I think I mentioned before j j Abrams called it a heartbeat by attaching that to the plot device of Baby Yoda or of the birth of Jim Kirk or in Star Wars. You know, where they re- he, he sort of ekes this emotion out of kind of characters that you've barely met, and that's kind of the level this film works on. I mean, it doesn't spend much time with many of the characters, new or old. Yeah, he's for, a fan though, Ray. too, isn't he? So he, he he's knows. a fan. He, the Easter eggs helped. Seeing mm. all the, it was pretty cool. Like the seeing all the little characters you remember, and you know, um, uh, not not Admiral Akbar, but uh, his race. Yes, it was a trap. You know, all that stuff. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> well, the Ford plan for the Death Star. Or, um, I used to you know, always do Admiral Akbar for some reason. It just amused me. It still amuses me. But he's dead now. I'd rather not think about it. Okay. It does make me sad. Anyway, let's have a moment's silence for Admiral Akbar. That's enough. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Basically, the, the Wayfinder, the MacGuffin that they've been trying to track, is Fortunately, destroyed by Kylo. Fortunately, there's two. Uh, Kylo. Fortunately, there's two. But Kylo destroys the one that Ray's found. Um, there's a, 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 that fantastic lightsaber duel. Um, at the same time, right at the crescendo of the lightsaber duel, Leia is lying dying because of the effort of the Force, much like the effort that Luke put uh, himself under in Last Jedi to project yep. himself by the Force. So she's undergoing that. So this is plot-wise very moving. 
production-wise is a necessity because this is them wrapping up um, Carrie Fisher's role in yeah, the story. Yeah, it's a three-tissue moment for it's me. It's a three-tissue moment. And uh, she calls to Kylo through the Force, and essentially he's deep in the fight, and he's deep in the, the lightsaber duel. And for that moment, he's distracted, and Ray Im- stabs him, she impales yeah. him and on a lightsaber. And so sensing Leia's death, Ray uses the Force to heal Kylo. And so she heals the immense gaping hole in his uh, lower abdomen and then takes off to Arcto, that uh, the Irish island, Skell, is it Skellig Michelle, whatever it's called? I, I'm nodding. The, the <laughs> that Irish help, island, the jagged, rocky island, the real place off the coast of yep. Ireland yep. where they shot in uh, Force Awakens, where Luke lives in his little yep. huts. On with the, with of, the, the porgs. That's with the porgs yeah. and his very monastic lifestyle. And uh, she, so she takes herself off there. Destroys the ship. Destroys the ship once she arrives. And so she's healed Kylo. She's gone to see Luke. So she's watching a burning TIE fighter and then is about to launch her lightsaber into it. And this is mirrors the scene we've just skipped over, which is possibly the most important scene of the film. And it's the film, it's a scene that I was not expecting. And that is Han Solo appearing to his son, Ben, a.k.a. Kylo Ren. and it, I didn't expect to see him either. And it was nice. And it was. Th- that scene to me is pivotal because that is the, that's the scene where Kylo Ren is deciding to... Um, it, it's a mirror change. of the one in the, in the, is it Force Awakens where he... Kills him. Yeah. It's a mirror of that. In fact, he even says... The same things. dialogue, yeah. I know what I have to do. I just don't have the strength to do it. But this time makes stuff. the right choice. Makes the right choice. And it's actually... Uh, that had me tearing up. I yeah. got quite moved in that moment. And uh, it culminates with him tossing his lightsaber into... The unknown? The, into the ocean. Yeah, yeah. And um, he throws it into the ocean, I believe, after the duel when he's been healed by Ray. So the he- Ray saving his life affirms his decision that he's made already after having that kind of not imaginary but from his memory kind of his father appears to him and he has like this uh, hamlet-esque sort of conversation with his father's ghost and knows what he has to do and then tosses the lightsaber away after he's fought ray and she saved his life and then taken off so that's his reaction but then he knows what he has to do and and he's gone good so basically kylo becomes ben solo for the rest of the film yep and wears like a emo outfit or a ripped black t-shirt and jeans, basically. It's like he, he's like, I'm not going to wear a cool looking outfit anymore. Put my sweater on. Just going to put this ripped sweater on. Does that look good enough? Good. I'm just going to go listen to Smashing Pumpkins in my room. <laughs> Cut myself. No, no. He's, it's, um, it yeah. was, a, it was a good scene. It uh, was, a, that was a, that was a terrific scene. That really, it really moved me. It, they sold it. They sold it. It did. And, and it I also then that, just launched yeah. you into the next act of the film. Yes. And that's for any critics of the film, I would just look. Adam Driver is a terrific actor. Daisy Ridley is a ter- terrific actor. They sell it. I mean, are you going to, if you want me to agree, is it overly, overly convoluted bullshit that gets the plot to where it needs to go? Yes. But, yeah, but they still sell it. So emotionally, yes. it works. And I oh, guess it, I, it was an emotional it. ride for me all, all the way through. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. they sold it. Yeah. And, yeah. It's a, it's and a, you're right. Adam Driver is good because there's that Channing oh, Tatum so film great. that he's in. With the heisty thing at the the go the NASCAR or whatever oh, that is. Is that what? Logan Lucky? Oh, it's a great little film. And Steven he's so Soderberg. good in it. He's terrific. Yeah. That's the one with uh, Daniel Craig as Joe Bang. Yeah. Isn't it? With the blonde hair. It's good fun, that one. Hair. That's very funny. 
Yeah, look, I the, he, they sell it. And I would say, look, I put the original trilogy and this one up next to each other. And I say, okay, this is an example of, for whatever reason, the scripts are flawed. In what way? Well, with the first one, they were overwritten. George Lucas couldn't write a line of dialogue to save his life. But the story had integrity. The story was there. But what do you do? You bring in the chemistry, the alchemy of the cast, and they rise above it. And I think they made Star Wars better than it had any right to be and they sold it and yeah. you bought it because of their characters and because they were cast well it's all myths and legends yes so and this new one same thing yeah jj abrams cast great actors and it's not like they're script proof because they are they're fallible and mm. they you know you can't deliver decent dialogue well you can't deliver dialogue well if it isn't written well you can try, yeah. but they did a really good job. I think it was pretty well written. It was just convoluted, that's all, yeah. with this new film. But um, anyway, that I, that was such a terrific sequence. The Han Solo sort of meeting with Ben, Ben making the turn, having the fight with Ray, Ray Ray's saving his life. He tosses his lightsaber away. She returns to see Luke Skywalker on his remote island in exile. Well, she was going to live like he did. She was going to live like yeah. he did, yes, and, which is what you call an, an, an ascetic lifestyle where yeah. you deny yourself the pl- yeah, the sensual pleasures of living. Well, she'll get, she'll focus get focus on blue milk monk. from that that yeah, from that big space weird beast cow thing. thing <laughs> giraffe cows from space with yeah. others. It was such a weird thing. I actually watched that last night. <laughs> it did make me laugh. It's I think it's the part of my enjoyment of Last Jedi is how perverse it is and just saying, you know what, you know the stuff that you really enjoy. I'm not going to yeah. do that. <laughs> Oh, you know this expectation you have of a Star Wars film? Yeah, up yours. I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> and that is also part of it as well. And that's probably why the critics loved Last Jedi. They loved it because for that reason, it just did something different. Yeah. Um, so anyway. So Luke appears. So Luke appears out of the flames. Now, this sequence is, a, again, another direct answer. What did Luke do when she handed him a lightsaber in, Force, in uh, Last Jedi at the beginning? He tossed it over his shoulder. Yep. Didn't give a, didn't give a crap. Yep. He's like, who cares? And the fans' heads exploded <laughs> because they couldn't believe they that he do. would be so offhandedly dismissive about it. And I loved that. But, but this 30 years have gone by. Yeah. And what is the sequence? What does he do? She throws it into the fire. He catches it yeah. and he reveals himself to be, oh, it's Force Luke. You know, Luke, Luke Ghost, whoever the hell you want to call him. And he says that is no way to treat a lightsaber or the weapon of a Jedi or something. That, I think, is it. It's yeah. so... It is such an obvious dig at um, that sequence. That's what I mean. This film is like a, almost like a conversation, like a call and response has gone on, right? Yeah. In what's come before and what they say in this film. And he encourages Ray uh, to face Palpatine, much in the same way that Yoda encouraged Luke to face Vader. Yes. And uh, so he gives her Leia's lightsaber. And his old X-wing, which was under the water, if you remember, at the base of the cliffs. And he 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 raised it like Yoda yeah, did. Like Yoda. Uh, and I have to. I got a, I got a bit teary. Oh. And also because it looked real. That did look like yeah. a real mock-up of a light of an X-wing. It was all dripping, and it just was like uh, either that's really amazing CGI and textures, or that's a real light, um, X-wing mock-up that they're craning over, and it just looked great. That I love that. That's I, I actually nudged my nephew then. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, it's a physicality of it. I yes. love that. Just imagining them on this location dangling this enormous lightsa- uh, X-wing lightsaber, X-wing <laughs> over the cliffs. So off, so she, Luke, off she trundles. Off, yeah, he's like, "Look, go face her, uh, face Palpatine. Take the X-wing. Off you go. She'll be right, mate." Yes. So she leaves for Exegol, which is possibly one of the weirdest and stupidest names for a planet ever. But it's hidden. It's hidden. So she has to use the Wayfinder from 
Kylo's ship, which uh, um, she uses. And uh, so basically back on Kef Burr, Kylo converses with a vision of his father, Han Solo, and he throws away his lightsaber. So for some reason, I remembered that coming before. So it was after. So the fight happens, the duel between Ray and he, that then starts the burning question and the confrontation with his good side and his bad side. And then he seizes dad's ghost, basically, and that makes the decision for him. He decides to toss away his lightsaber and kill Kylo Ren and just be Ben Solo. So he reclaims his identity, if you want to call it that. And back at the Resistance base, R2-D2 restores C-3PO's memory from an old backup, which angered me so much as a plot twist, I felt I felt a bit dirty. And I felt like... But it gave you the line I, where they were talking about Babu Frick and, and C-3PO goes, oh, yes, he's one of my oldest one friends. One of my oldest friends. <laughs> that made me laugh. But I felt so used and so kind of it was it was such a cheap throwaway plot device, and that's what I'm talking about. Most people would not give two shits about this, but I felt a bit miffed because I'm like, dude, if you want to kill a major character who's been in every film, every way, film, the only one to be in kill every that character film. off or potentially erase him from mm. the films. And you do it so dismissively and you have the other characters treating it so derisively for the purposes of humor. Yes. I just was like, what is going on here? But that's a little thing. But, but then, but, yeah, just, but there's, there's also talk then yeah. because of the number of backups that R2-D2 has, mm. has in his uh, storage, mm. how far back has C-3PO's memory been restored now? Yeah, well, that's that's. Yeah, that's but then there's also talk that this that's it for Anthony Daniels. He won't. Be, I don't know. I read something that that's it. He won't imagine, be doing any more. I can't imagine why he would turn up in any other films because narratively, or films really, or, or or you know any. I was this, retiring basically. series that sort of stuff. So it, I was bummed out about Peter Mayhew. I just about to say the same thing. So you're watching Chewie going. That's not Peter Mayhew. It would have had a bit more resonance, I think, if it was Peter Mayhew. Yeah. The Chewie being upset scene, which frankly I was expecting when Han died. But anyway, that's just, he does do that's something true more too. subtle, I think, when Han dies. Yeah. So basically he converses with his dad, throws away his lightsaber, reclaims his identity as Ben Solo. He's back on the base. C-3PO's memory gets restored from an old backup. <laughs> Press restore. Yeah. Uh, they just put a backup hard drive in. And uh, the resistance then factory reset. The factory reset. They follow Ray's coordinates that she's established. Oh, because she's sending uh, while she's flying. She's the, sending breadcrumbs. Yes. Yeah, and so they follow those breadcrumbs from the X-wing she's flying. Yeah. I have to admit, it was quite cute watching her wear the the rebel helmet and yeah. fly the yeah. X-wing. Oh, speaking of rebel hel- wedge. Yes, wedge uh, Antilles appears. Yes. That was a nice touch. Yeah. yeah, I heard a few people clap when I was watching it. And it was a nice touch seeing him, actually. So Ray confronts Palpatine. Palpitating Palpatine. Something, something dark side. <laughs> who's kind of but hanging, he's all hooked up to this. Yeah, he's hooked up to this kind of uh, Assassin's Creed style yeah. uh, metal arm that's sort of suspending him. It does look damn cool, but it does look like something out of a... Um, an HR Giga picture or something. It's yeah, quite terrific. Yeah. I was very impressed by the, the the design of this film is flawless. Like I was blown away with pretty much every set piece and yeah. the way they constructed it. Yeah. Um, but she confronts Palpatine and he demands that she kill him to transfer his spirit into her, uh, which then would give her the power to save the resistance ships engaged in battle with Palpatine's fleet above them in the atmosphere. And that's the justification. So they've, they've, they literalize the comment from Return of the Jedi, strike me down and I'll become more 
powerful than you ever had imagined. All that stuff, right? So to make that literal is to say, if you strike me down, I will literally, my spirit will go straight into you. I'll possess mm. you and take over your body and then I'll be more powerful. You'll be more powerful. Boom. We're all powerful. That was an interesting idea. There was a few sort of um, writing-wise, a bit of some bizarre moments, but he decides to then suck their life force out, um, which he kind of is using because at first he's trying to convince her to kill him, and then when Kylo, well, when Ben Solo appears in his emo shirt with his, he he, he kills a few of those. Uh, what's on the way, way in? in yeah. On the way in, he sees some Knights of Ren and dispatches uh, them pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a nice touch, actually. Um, and uh, Oh, it just proves, yes, he's he is good. He is good, but I just thought you know, they needed to be a bit more badass and sort of jump around. and they, Maybe they needed to fly and backflip over <laughs> things and stuff. I would have enjoyed that more, but they didn't do anything. They didn't seem particularly um, overwhelming. We're watching you. Yeah, Ben overpowers the Knights of Ren, who sort of loiter in doorways like sleazy dudes at clubs <laughs> yes. or something. They don't really sort of march out and do anything aggressive. It's just he just dispatches them, and they all wait in line to fight him. They don't seem to come at him at the No, same but that's time. what you do. You just wait for yeah, your turn. Yeah, you just wait for your turn. You don't actually try to overwhelm the person. No. So the Knights of Ren are overpowered by Ben, and he arrives to help Ray. Uh, Palpatine then decides to suck the life essence out of Ray and Ben and uh, rejuvenating himself. And um, you can see his fingers and everything reforming, and he looks more like a human being than a sort of decrepit old skeleton with like skin stapled to it, which is what he looks like. And then uh, he tosses Ben into a ravine and what looks like a killing, but we all know if anyone's got any kind of um, uh, familiarity with the structure of a film, you know, if you don't see the body, he ain't dead. But um, so, yeah, he kind of gets tossed aside and disappears into the mists. And I thought, I did think for a sec, is he dead? Like, if they just killed him? No, no, it's not that kind of story. So uh, he tosses him into a ravine and he attacks uh, the resistance fleet, the Emperor does, with his force lightning. And I... I have to say, despite all the sort of bad bad attitudes there are with reviewers, uh, online critics and otherwise, about movies that end with a blue beam being shot into the sky, <laughs> which pretty much sums up every single comic book movie ever uh, I, made. What's the problem there? Well, <laughs> just think there's, okay, they, like Suicide Squad, you go into a city and there's a big thing that happens, an explosion, and then there's a machine and it shoots a big blue beam into the sky. Okay. Avengers, there's, right, there's a machine, shoots a big blue beam into the sky. What's the, it doing? The, the, that um, one we talked about earlier, that Netflix comic book thing, that has the... Oh, Umbrella Academy. That. Blue beam in the sky. Some, whether it's blue, but there's a beam there's in the a sky. Beam. But I have to say, uh, apparently there is precedence for this in the comics. Uh, the Emperor shooting um, force lightning into the sky and, and taking out ships is is, uh, is canon. Um, and so, but him, he's just absorbed the power of of two really powerful Jedi. Exactly. So, and I loved that sequence. I thought it looked oh, great. amazing. Like the actual, just the sort of tree trunk of lightning shooting up into the sky and extending out like. Branches. And at what point did we? Because uh, is it who's gone off to to rally the troops to bring the? That's Lando. So he's so off. That seems to be plot-wise the only purpose that he serves in the film is to rally the rebellion, to rally the troops, so to yep. speak. But it's all done off camera. Um, yeah, which but was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, but that reveal that was cool. 
Oh. But that was the exact duplicate of a moment in the film Serenity, which was the film of Firefly, the TV series. It was the feature film that sort of that TV series culminated in, and they wrapped up all the storylines. Features the exact same scene. It's like a flotilla of Dun- Dunkirk-style um, spaceships just yeah. appearing, hundreds of them, and just overwhelming the baddies. And so it was a very similar thing. But it was nicely built up to... Be- because don't they, they appear before the blue... Uh, after. After? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Oh, no, they're, they're before. Because before, yes. That because then all, them their, all their engines die yeah. and they start dropping into towards the planet. Because I um, like that. Because sh- just that one shot. The bazillion. And, and, there's a, and then the Falcon sort of comes down from the top of the frame and settles in at the, at the front. And yeah. that was actually really nice. That worked for me. The spaceship battle seeds, it's like the sort of landers opening up and the, the sort of space horses coming out. Yeah. Um, I loved that. Yeah. I thought that was great. You've got horses galloping along a friggin'. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why BB-8 was there, though. I don't know what you, what good you'd have. As he a had to open the hatch along. thingy, remember? Should have been R2-D2. That's what, I, that's what I felt. He should have had R2. He can fly. Yeah. I don't know why. I, you know why that wasn't R2? Because he needed to be at the rebel base with Leah at the, at the foot of her bed. That's why. Because it did, seriously, you watch that scene and it's, it's R2 there that you go, oh, yeah. yes. So <laughs> that's, where that's I just why, went. story-wise, it's, um, you needed R2-D2 to be with Leia. And yeah. that's why. And I get it, but uh, that, that battle scene. So I was think Dio was, uh, there at the end? Yeah, I think you saw him. Um, you saw BB-8. But Dio, I don't know if he was actually in the, the running gun battle, but right. he's, yeah, he's, he's amongst it. He's helping out, I think, on the Falcon. So anyway, oh, mate. All the emotional whiplash that this is, uh, this gives you. So, but just because the story lurches from one ex- emotional extreme to another, and it, it, story-wise, like if you want to put your screenwriting hat on, you just go, "Wow, the sh- construction's really, really all messy and all over the place." But because the emotional beats work, yeah, it yeah. does feel quite overwhelming. Like you do watch it, and you're just like, "Oh." Oh no, that's happening! Oh my god, now this is happening. And if you're into it, it is a real roller coaster. And on that level, it works. Worked a trick yeah. for me. Like I said, I I had tissues. So he sucks in the life essence. He's uh, zapping the skies and kills the resistance fleet's engines briefly. They regain them, and that they regain them because he stops force lightning the sky when. Ben arrives, I think. He's climbed back up the, the he, crevasse. Yes, he's climbed back up the crevasse. And then, so then there's a confrontation between them. And, um, and so, uh, basically, Palpatine absorbs the life essence of Ray and Ben, rejuvenating himself. He throws Ben into a ravine. He attacks the resistance fleet with force lightning. A weakened Ray hears the voices of the past Jedi who lend her their strength. Palpatine attacks her with his force lightning. Ah, 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 ah. Rise, <laughs> and she deflects it using this two lightsabers, which was cool. But you're like, oh, I don't understand the significance of two lightsabers. Like, what one's not enough, and two. Like, I understood that. I would have liked force lightning back from her. That's what I would have liked. Yeah, but the two life lightsabers were so Ben could that get one is the culmination of the very cool force timing. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Like the act him grabbing the lightsaber I, from behind him and, and sort of pulling it out and you realise, oh my God, she's just sent him the lightsaber. Yeah, well, he so sent fuck it you, to Palpatine. Her. You're going to cop it now. She, and she, he, he, he switches it to her. And it's such a great idea and an ex, also an extension of that throne room scene, fight scene in Last Jedi where they team up. 
mm. to beat a common threat. And I love I love that idea um, because they don't really have a romance. It's intimated, but there's, there's no romance there. Yeah, really. but then we do have but that. Then, yeah, they just that, again, that. again, fan service. You know, let's face it. But well, um, I was thinking, what about poor old Finn? Yeah, he's. Uh, he he had something, you know, when they're sinking into that that pile, yeah. that uh, down into that thing to find the the MacGuffin, mm. and he says, "Oh, Ray, there's something I need to tell yeah. you." Yeah, sinks. Yeah, what were you going to tell me? Oh, nothing. I think he was actually going to tell her that um, he feels the force because. Oh, I thought it'd be. I love you. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I oh. think it, I think I thought I got from that that he would reveal. He would say, "I feel I feel the force as well." Because remember in the battle, he's like, you got to, it's that ship is where the navigation um, transponder is. You've got to take that ship down. They're like, well, how do you know it's on that ship? And he goes, a feeling, I, f- I feel it. And it's like, okay, I feel it. And um, so I got from that, that they're saying the force is strong in him. The new hairstyle. Finn, oh, you know what? I actually didn't really realize that until after the film had finished. Okay. And I thought, oh, wow, he has a different sort of haircut in it. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of liked it. I've got a lot of time for John Boyega. He's a good actor. I, You know, when the, when the trailer came out for Force Awakens, he's the first face we see. Yes. And that reveal, because he just bobs up into it and it's like, oh, my God, mm. he looks cool. Again, terrific actor. Yeah. They're, they're all really good actors. I just think they, they've suffered from the lack of overall arc in the story. From the well, beginning it's to it's end. kind of the first film where they're all together doing stuff. Yeah, that was genuinely great because it was yeah. a setup. And imagine if the the next two films had actually continued. Yeah, a direct thread. Um, anyway, with a single baddie in yeah. it for all three films, yeah. like Vader, and it, I think that that's what it kind of needed. But so basically, a weakened Ray. Here's the voices of the past Jedi. She attacks Palpatine with uh, his lightning, but she she by deflecting it. And with the two lightsabers, um, she gets that one uh, through the force timing sort of uh, switch off that uh, Ben Solo does with her. Um, so she kills the Emperor. He does die, and particularly Raiders of the Lost Arky kind of face peeling sort of way. Oh, I thought the same thing. It was the I didn't enjoy that. It was, it was face good. melting. Yeah, it, it, they should have done it with a bit more realism. You got to freak the kids out a little was bit. Was it rated M? Yeah. Why not? That's it. So Ray dies. She collapses and dies. And then Ben gets to her and limping because he's just crawled his way out of the, um, the, the the crevasse. And he uses the force or what force he has left to resurrect her. Um, and in a very sort of Romeo and Juliet way, the two kiss before Ben dies. And, and he's he has died. And he has died. And she, I believe, tries to bring him back, but she doesn't have the power and <clears throat> doesn't have the energy. And... Then, meanwhile, uh, Lando is leading the resistance and he's backed by reinforcements uh, to destroy the remainder of Palpatine's. You're right, it actually comes at the end. It's the bit where you think, oh my God, because there's that moment of um, all is lost where Oscar Isaac is flying and doesn't know what to do and he sort of says, I'm so sorry, everyone, and all that sort of, it's really sad. I thought it was going to work. Yeah, and then, then they, they turn up. All the beats are there, all the emotions, all the requisite feelings that you would need to have, they're all there. It's just, you just think, good God, what a jumble to get there. Like there's so much information. Like even even in reading this back, I'm thinking, oh my God, there was so much plot to get. To Instead of having a clean A and B storyline, so you have an A storyline and a B storyline, which would be the rebel yeah, fight, yeah, yeah. the actual battle. And then you just have, a, instead of having a clean plot thread that you can follow 
with character beats and meaty scenes where you can get into the the emotions of, of a character and mm. actually feel some stuff and that it would have made it more rewarding but again they really did back up a truck of sewerage onto JJ Abrams' lawn and just dump it because what and he has done remarkably well he did because so it, well it, with it. it I as you say it's what you feel as you leave yeah and I was I was happy like I said I could have gone right back in and watched it again I just didn't understand why they put Naomi Aki in it as Jana she's a perfectly fine character again it was pretty obvious to me in that exchange that she has with Lando where she says I don't know who my real parentage was i'm from this area from this planet blah blah and he says well well let's go find out kind of thing and i thought to myself they're just setting up a limited series there they they literally just set up a series of actions that they're not going to show so why would you do that because they want to give themselves options i guess yes i can see why they've introduced that actress named yaki playing janna the ex stormtrooper but it what it did was gave short shrift to uh rose because I think she any was, of her dialogue would have been probably spoken by like that character. So you can imagine Rose would have been in there talking. She to was Finn on the sideline a bit. Why didn't they continue their plot line? Because there was such a reaction again. They, yeah. they, 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 that felt the most weird. When I think about She that, was so good in, uh, what was the last one called? Last Jedi. Jedi. That one. She was so good in that. Yeah. A great element to have. Yes. And then to sideline her so severely, I, I, I was a little bit. Disappointed. It's kind of weird because when I think about it, I just think how she's a cool chick. How insidious that is! Like how how can they actually justify not having included her in the film by after introducing her as that particular character and that those dynamics exist between she, her and Finn? She had so much to work with in that last one. Yeah, they and just, then she, just, oh, she literally was a, she was a glorified extra. Yes, she said two lines, yeah. and one of them was like, "I'm not coming with you. I'm staying here at the base." Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm not coming with you. I'm writing myself out of the rest of the film. See mm-hmm. ya. Like it was really odd. And I wonder, how, I mean, the actress is not going to say anything. She, you know, but they, they know what side of the bread the butter's on and there's well, no point. Uh, um, maybe she'll appear in this Lando thing. Yeah, that's a possibility. I, I just, I just thought that sucked. That was yeah. the one thing I couldn't get past. It was like, I, I get the box ticking. I understand the forces that come into play when you're making a huge film like this. But to not put a character in because they're so we don't want to inflame the you know the bunch of ass. But I I, I reckon about. if anything, go the other direction. Bring her in more yeah. and inflame those turds. Yeah, because yeah. fuck them. The, the the idea that they made her seek friggin' counselling. She had to go to therapy. Yes, that's appalling. It is appalling. It is. It, it's it's bullshit. It's a and freaking they should've, movie. I think at the very least they could have. Um, they could have given her a meteor role, and it just—it's like, it's like they've—it's like she's the Jar Jar. Mm. Like if, I don't have no idea why this is the case, yeah. but it is like she is the Jar Jar Binks of Last Jedi, and they've just gone, okay, let's just pretend she doesn't exist. So we'll just sort of name check her. We'll say maybe have a line, and that's it. We don't want to see her in the rest of the film because we don't want to have the fans get upset. But the fans need to realize that the suns will still rise on Tatooine tomorrow. You know, speaking of which, you know, as the galaxy uh, celebrates um, and the armada is getting destroyed and uh, um, everyone's sort of going, yay, and Lando's led the resistance and you can see the Ewoks dancing and uh, no Jar Jar Binkses, though. <laughs> I didn't see it. That would have been funny. But as the galaxy celebrates, Ray visits the Lars homestead on Tatooine. 
and she buries the Skywalker lightsabers and uh, she's built her own sort of um, double-ended sort of Darth Maul style. It's one. from her staff apparently as yeah. well. And and mm. the, the reveal of when it lights, when it turns on, it's a different colour. So she took the name Skywalker. That's the other big thing. That was kind of the last big thing in that sort of twin sons uh, Tatooine scape. Yeah. Seeing the force ghosts of Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, uh, Luke and Leia, and then and the woman's like, oh, what's your name? <laughs> oh, it's looking longingly off into the distance and then thinking, should I say my name is Palpatine? Palpatine. <laughs> my name is Bob, Bob Palpatine. <laughs> right? My name's Ray, Ray Palpatine. And I was like, no, it doesn't really have a good ring to it. So saying Skywalker, I felt like, oh, come on. There's one thing you need to be giving us. It's closure. I don't yeah. think you need to sort of intimate continuity or an extension. And I just felt like that was a little bit of a cop out. But again, it just hits you in the feels. It feels it, it feels right. Yes. It doesn't matter if it is right. It just feels right. Yeah. So Because it happened and I'm like, mm, yeah. yeah, okay. So, yeah, and, and apart from that, you know, that I think my, my, my issues with it are simply from that perspective of they seem to be making a film in response to a, a conversation that was had between fans and the makers of the previous film. And they've just gone, okay, with all these things that you found to be issues, oh, look, they're wow, they're not in this film. <laughs> they're just not in it. It's and a, you're like... We've airbrushed them out. Yeah, but one of those issues was actually born out of a really good decision. It was yeah. a really good decision to have the new character of Rose and she was a great actress. And what? why isn't she in this film? Oh, no, she's... Oh, we just we just got someone different. And, uh, you know, it's a woman of colour. You can't question us. Yeah. That's what it... That's If I'm going to be really cynical, that's kind of how I felt. I mean, in your mind, what possible reason narratively would they have for keeping her out of the story when she was quite literally front crucial center, crucial saved finn's yeah. life in the last film yep and it's like she was erased it's quite it's quite weird and i say all this loving the film but it is really creepy and weird to me how that decision making process the, the only thing i can think of is because of the backlash that they copped yeah. last time it's saying it seems really obvious and icky the unnecessary backlash i want to point out Well, with that, dear listener, that is the that is our review for uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, and it should be said that uh, I think we pretty much uniformly agree that it, it's a great film. It's really entertaining, and you will have fun. You will have fun watching it. Just don't think too much about the plot. Yeah, don't, don't overthink it. I mean, that's the thing. Don't it's, overthink it's it. A film. Just sit there and enjoy. Just, Maybe take a tissue if you like me. Yeah, or ba- two. Bathe in the the nostalgia and the atmos and the tone and the action and the fun. But anyway, that is our review of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, the pod bay doors are closing. So at least Hal's listening to us until he decides to jettison us into space. <laughs> and, uh, and for more filmic meanderings, interviews, reviews, and other assorted features, you can check out my website, www.generaladmissions.org. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jared Walker, J-A-R-R-O-D, as in overdose. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you.